If you remember last week, we began with this overall premise from the first epistle of Peter, which is simply this. Where there is Christ, there is hope. The message that Peter is proclaiming to the early church is essentially this message. Where there is Christ, there is hope. And you remember, of course, the necessity of Peter proclaiming this message because the early church is suffering persecution from every level, both the empire and local governments, as well as simple public people who are persecuting them for their religious belief and their proclamation that Jesus Christ has come to set the prisoner free, to proclaim peace and prosperity to the Jewish people once again, and now even beyond the Jewish people, to a new covenant people, not based in birthrights or an old covenant, but now based in a new covenant through Christ. And they need to hear this word because they are in the midst of a lot of trouble. They're desperate. And they're calling out to God saying, God, I thought you would be faithful to us. I thought that we would receive blessing from you for proclaiming you and following you. And Peter is reminding them through this epistle that even though their circumstance is troublesome, and even though persecution is costing some of them their lives, there is a greater hope that rises above any circumstance that you and I can face in this physical world. Remember, where there is Christ, there is hope. Specifically, Christ offers us salvation. Christ is our only hope for salvation. And the salvation that we discuss in the Bible and the salvation that is promised to us is not a salvation from earthly persecution, but a salvation that is far greater than that. And in fact, Christ says our salvation, following that salvation into actions, will result occasionally in persecution here. But the greater reward, the salvation that is beyond this life for an eternity with Christ, restoration, reconciliation will empower you to move beyond whatever temporary circumstance you find yourself in and serve God faithfully as He has served you. And this message for us, this message of salvation, and the fact that it's in Christ alone, must be our empowering message at all times. It must be our source of hope. It must be the thing that we cling to. It must be the thing that guides our ministry in Christ. It is a big deal that we have received salvation. And so many of us hear this terminology all the time. We've grown up in the church and the idea of salvation, the fact that Christ has saved us almost has become second nature to us. And we forget the significance of this truth that God has sent Christ to rescue us, our salvation. See, salvation is an important thing if you know you are in danger, right? Salvation is an important thing that you and I would treasure someone coming to save us if we recognize that we are in danger. And the problem for many of us today, unlike the time that Peter is writing, is that you and I do not see ourselves often as in danger. Think about this for a second. If you're out in the middle of a field and someone randomly comes up and just side tackles you, for no apparent reason, you're just you know, skipping through a field, um, enjoying some sort of pristine uh, you know, imagery, gallivanting about, 
in the open, maybe picking flowers, maybe having daisies put in your hair. You know, hopefully, if you're a girl, not if you're a guy. And then all of a sudden, some idiot comes out of nowhere and just side tackles you. Well, you'd probably be upset. What are you doing? Just side tackling me in the middle of this field. I was skipping about. I was enjoying the skipping and the flowers. And then all of a sudden, you just side tackled me. You'd be upset because this guy just hits you out of nowhere. But consider if this same guy tackles you while you're crossing a street and a car is coming that does not see you. Just side tackles you out of nowhere in order to save your life. The value placed on that guy tackling you is completely different. On one hand, it's a nuisance because you are in no real danger. On the other hand, if this guy acts to save your life, you are eternally grateful that this guy's side tackled you. And the same thing is true in our recognition of what Christ has done for us. If we don't think that we are in legitimate danger then Christianity and following Christ and the message of salvation will be an annoyance to us because it costs us too much. We just want to skip in a field with flowers. But when we recognize that our eternity was in jeopardy and that our sin justly called upon the wrath of God to be poured out upon us, and yet Christ took upon that wrath for himself, And the message of salvation and the fact that Christ died for us becomes significant. Life-changing even. Where there is Jesus, there is hope. Because Christ offers us salvation. And he is the only way to salvation. And that claim for us, that truth claim for us, that there is only one way to God, and that's Christ, is a troublesome thing for our culture today. We live in a very pluralistic society. You and I, because of technology today, we just were able to access the religious beliefs of tons of people all over the world. And it's hard for us as Christians to maintain this idea that Christ is the only way to God when there are so many people out there who claim that they have legitimate religious belief that leads them to God. And because of that, many Christians in America and around the world have lessened the centrality of this truth in their preaching and belief scheme. There are many people, maybe even in this room tonight, that believe that there are more ways to get to God than just Jesus. It's a hard claim. And people will ask, what right do you have on truth? How can you tell me what is right for me? Maybe Christianity is right for you, and maybe your view of truth is that Jesus is the only way, but how can you say that must be truth for me? How can Jesus be the only way? Well, you and I know that this truth, that Jesus is the only way, has been birthed within us by the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I know now, because the Holy Spirit has breathed new life into us and has taken the scales off of our eyes, the 
the blindness of sin and depravity in our life, Holy Spirit has removed those things and allowed us to see the overarching plan of God, saving people, reconciling people to himself through the work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has allowed us to see this truth when we read the Scriptures. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, to those who are being saved, this idea of Jesus is joyous. It's a cause to worship. But for those who are being condemned, it's a stumbling block. I was having lunch with a guy today, and I was hearing his story, and he, uh, did not be- he does not believe in Christ, does not believe in Christianity. And I was listening to his story just kind of leading up to the point where he decided to reject Christianity. And I had some of the exact same struggles, the exact same tensions that he did, yet he and I took radically different paths from that moment of crisis. Same questions, same concerns, but his reason caused him to reject Christianity, whereas my faith caused me to embrace it even more. And that faith is a gift from God given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is God's free gift unto you. And so you and I are convinced, compelled, because the Holy Spirit of God has revealed to us that this is the only truth. The only way to God is through Jesus. And let me just say a couple of words about this as we kind of move forward. Uh, Two things about this claim that Jesus is the only way to God. Number one, if you claim Christ at all, if you affirm Christianity at all, you must, must claim that Jesus is the only way to God. You must. Because Christ himself proclaims that he is the only way to God. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Nobody comes to God except through me. That's a pretty exclusive claim. Nobody comes to God the Father except through me. Jesus is not simply one approach to truth. He is the cornerstone of truth. He is the key to unlocking God's plan for all things. Without him, we do not understand what God is doing. With him, we understand everything. He reminds me of those spectacles in the National Treasure movies. You know what I mean? Like, the things that had like the different uh, lenses on them and you couldn't really see what was going on until we put the lenses down. And then once you got the glasses and the lens, you could see the full spectrum of what the early fathers of the country were trying to do. It's that same kind of thing. Jesus is the lens. And without him, you and I cannot see what God is accomplishing. But through him, we see completely what God is accomplishing through the work of the gospel. If you, if you claim Christianity... You cannot have a mild response to Christ's place in the world. He must be the only way or he is nothing. Those are by his words. Secondly, while we are claiming that salvation is exclusive to Christ, we are not saying that only certain people are welcome. Everyone is welcome under the sacrifice of Christ. It's not like, um, the little rascals 
you know, where we've got an all-boys club and there are no girls allowed. Everybody is able to come in if they accept the demands of Jesus Christ upon their life. So even though the message is exclusive in the fact that Jesus is the only way, it is not exclusive in the fact that not everyone is able to come in if they submit their lives to the lordship of Christ. The gift of God is open to everyone, even if not everyone will choose to accept it. So you and I have much to rejoice about tonight and the fact that God has saved us. This message of salvation is the cornerstone of Christianity. And it should cause us to rejoice. And this salvation, Peter describes with three words tonight. The salvation that Christ gives, according to Peter's word tonight, is present, it's incorruptible, and it is secure. These are the three things that Peter focuses on as a word of encouragement to the early church about the salvation of Jesus Christ to us. So let's turn there. Verse 1, let's read it again, verses 3 through 12. Here's what the Word of God says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious then gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit in Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that we have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. It's a good word. Peter is encouraging us as his readers, and of course the people back then, to rejoice in the God of their salvation. This salvation that is a cornerstone of what we believe and the source of worship, giving glory and honor to this God who so richly deserves it, All of this was orchestrated by God. God is the orchestrator of salvation. He does it all. And He gets credit for it all. God created. God sent. 
God fulfilled, God died, God rose, God empowered, God planned every aspect of salvation. And it is his mercy, not our works, that have called us into this living hope. God did not have to give us what he has given us. He did not have to rescue us from his wrath. But his mercy, us getting what we did not deserve, mercy, not receiving the wrath of God, which we deserve, not receiving eternal punishment, which we deserve, but receiving salvation from those things. And not just happenstance, we receive it because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's through his resurrection, Peter says. His overcoming of the very things that you and I brought into this world through our sin that we have a living hope. Rejoice. And if the purpose of all of this, the salvation, is the glory of God, which you and I would say is the the sole reason that God acts on earth, may we not hold back our praise to Him having been made aware of both the plan and purpose of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an encouraging word for them. It's not been the encouraging word for people of all time. If you look down in verses 10 through 12, notice this. The prophets who have come before you, before me, who suffered the same way that you are suffering now for their belief in God, they didn't have this present salvation. They didn't have this reality of Jesus Christ to think back on and encourage them. But they were faithful. They inquired. They sought the Scripture. They prayed to the Lord. Who and when and where is this thing going to happen? And even in the face of persecution, the coming salvation was enough to keep them guarded. And motivated to worship and glorify God. You and I have an advantage now that even then they did not have. Because we see fully now the work of Christ. And we understand the hope of salvation rooted in Him, not in us. It's easy for us to blame God when we are in difficult times. It's easy for us to turn our back on Him. And say, God, where are you? Why did you allow this to happen? I can't imagine there are families in Ohio this week who are thinking that very thing because some 17, 18-year-old decided to open fire in school and kids lost their lives through no fault of their own. Just because some dude decided to be crazy. Parents are sitting there wondering, God, where... Where are you in all this? People losing their home in the middle of our country because of natural disasters. Tornadoes. Branson hit hard. God, where are you in all of this? And what Peter is reminding us is that even when this world throws us curveballs, we have something that is more secure to rely upon and find faith in. God has rescued us from eternal destruction. Don't ever question his faithfulness 
here when he has proven to be so faithful in that. Don't forget, in a moment of hardship, what he has established for us eternally. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we rejoice and worship the God of our salvation. And what is the significance of the salvation that he gives more explicitly now? Well, number one, God's salvation is present. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. In the language of the New Testament, this verb, this participle actually, is present active. Meaning that this hope that we have is present and active now. A present and active hope. It is not reserved for some future event, but this hope that Christ has given us can be experienced now as a foretaste even of what is to come. There's no need for you to sit back and just sit in your little cubby hole by yourself, afraid to go out into the world because you don't think you can have anything good here. It's all reserved for something that is to come. No, the salvation that God has given you is life-giving and it begins now. trying to figure out a way to help you understand this. Some of you know that my mother, God love her, she's incredible, bought me for my birthday tickets to go see Carrie Underwood in Baton Rouge in May. She's going to be with Keith Urban in Tiger Stadium. So it's like a combination of all of my favorite things. South Louisiana, Tiger Stadium, Carrie Underwood. I mean, even as I'm speaking it right now, I'm having to try to contain myself because I'm literally so excited about this concert. And the, the bad thing is, I was given these tickets on December the 4th, which is my birthday, and the concert's not until May. May. It's a long time. So I have the promise of this concert, but I cannot enjoy the concert until May. And granted, when it comes, I'm going to enjoy it. Probably embarrassingly so, all right? I'm going to enjoy it, but I have to wait to enjoy the promise of the Carrie Underwood concert. What Peter is saying about Christianity here, and I realize the leap I'm making, okay? What, What Peter is saying is that You may get the tickets in December, but you don't have to wait till May to experience the greatness that is Carrie Underwood, okay? You can begin experiencing it now. In Christianity, you are given the tickets, but you are also given the concert now. You get to experience the fullness and growing in the fullness of Christ until ultimately you receive Him in His entirety at His second coming. We have the assurance of joy now. We have the assurance of peace now. Now, we have the assurance of love now. And while we may live in a world that challenges our claim to salvation, challenges our ability to say that Jesus is the only way, it does not mean that we have to experience Him any less. 
There are so many things in our lives, in this world, that will come and try to steal all of these things that God has given us from us. That's the nature of the enemy. He's a thief. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. May we guard the things that Christ has given us. And may we worship God as a result. Don't let the enemy come and steal the peace that you have been given by Christ. Don't let him steal the joy that you have been given by Christ. And worst of all, don't help him. That's the dumb thing about me and a lot of Christians today is that we don't even have to let Satan come and steal the, the glory and gift of God in us. We'll give it away freely for old dumb things that we said we were going to give up whenever Jesus Christ came and saved us from the wrath of God initially. Satan didn't even need our, our help. He's going to steal, kill, and destroy without us. Don't be dumb and add to this whole problem by allowing sin to come into your life and steal your joy and steal your peace and steal the love of God. Don't make the wounds that this world can throw at you be self-inflicted. And don't wait for victory over those things. You already have it in Christ. One of the things that we're assured of, of our living hope, the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead means that he has overcome all of the effects of sin. It no longer has dominion over you. Christ and his spirit have dominion over you. You just got to live and walk in it. God's salvation is present in us. And again, Peter reminds the early church, guys, this should be a cause of great joy for you because the early prophets, they didn't have that. Moses, Elijah, David, all these guys that were faithful servants of God, they did not have the present salvation that you have. Don't let these temporary things that you're going through affect your faith. But the security of Christ's salvation, the present salvation that you experience, be the groundwork for your faith. God's salvation is present. It is also incorruptible. It's present, it's active, and it is incorruptible. You will never, ever need a plan B. The inheritance promised to us by God through Christ's salvation, notice this, you don't just get saved from something in God's salvation. You get saved to something. You are saved from the wrath of God, but you are also saved to an inheritance. An inheritance that Peter says is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This inheritance that is leading us to completed glorification, perfection in salvation is not to be questioned or doubted. You shouldn't wonder whether or not it's going to be good enough for you in the long term because it is rooted in the plan of God itself, which is eternal and unfading. Our salvation is now, yes, but it also has future implications. 
We have an inheritance tied to our salvation. Think of the things that God has promised us to inherit as a result of his salvific work in your life. You get God, God himself. You have a new land of promise that God has spoken over you in his covenant. You have eternal life. You will become a king of the earth along with Christ. You will inherit the kingdom of God. You will share glory with Christ. You have the Holy Spirit living within you as a security of your salvation and the fruit that comes along with that. You get blessings. You get rewards. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You're going to have glorified bodies. All of these things are part of the inheritance that is yours in Christ Jesus. The thief cannot steal them and time cannot lessen their beauty. They are yours securely in Christ. And this has got to be a relief because so many things that we value here sometimes are more pain than they are pleasure. You know, you get that new car and like the second a scratch comes on it or you get a dent in the door at Kroger, you just break down because you work so hard for this car and then all of a sudden it's not perfect anymore and you got to go get it fixed because it's going to annoy you if you're like me. One of the stories I think about this was um, when I was young, I was pretty materialistic. I know, shocking. And uh, I was an only child, and I wanted these sunglasses, a pair of Armani sunglasses that were fine. They were so nice, right? So for Christmas one, one year, I asked my mom, I was like, Mom, I really want these particular Armani sunglasses. Here they are, look. And as it happens, as a spoiled only child, when I woke up on Christmas morning, they, of course, were there. <laughs> And I acted surprised, even though I knew they were going to be there, right? And I got to where they were, they were so good looking. I was, uh, you know, wearing them, you know, just sporting, you know, you know, driving beside people and doing the head nods because, you know, they look good, you know. And so I went to the movies one day with some of my friends and we were getting back in the car and I sat down in my seat and I heard crinks. And it was a hot day and I'd left them in the sun and they were in my seat, and I had sat on them because they were so hot, they were just ruined. I said, never, ever again will I pay more than $15 for a pair of sunglasses. Because it's just not worth it. You put all of this time and effort and energy into things that are fading, that are corruptible, that are perishable. And that's a small example of the many things in our lives that we esteem and value, which can be taken away at a moment's notice. And what Peter is saying is that it doesn't matter what this world throws at you, the things that God has promised you cannot be taken away. They cannot be ruined. They cannot be diminished. They are incorruptible. Our salvation cannot die because it has beaten death. Our salvation cannot spoil because it is alive and well. Our salvation cannot fade because it is as eternal as the God who orchestrated it. God's salvation is incorruptible. And finally, God's salvation is secure. And this is one of the hallmarks of our testimony as Baptists and as evangelicals about 
the work of Christ upon our life. If God is responsible for salvation, He will be responsible for its completion in your life. You cannot lose what God has given to you. You cannot lose your salvation. Your salvation in Christ is secure. God first loved you, and He will protect you. God has made it His business to save you and secure you. How can you separate yourself from that? What can separate you from that? You remember, of course, Paul's incredible, beautiful, glorious rant in the book of Romans. I'm convinced that nothing, neither height nor depth or a whole list of things, can separate me from the love of God that we have seen in Christ Jesus. Our salvation in Him is secure because He is the author of salvation. There's no way that Satan can go mission impossible on our salvation, break into the security room of God's salvation work, and somehow steal the secrets, and one day we wake up and we're not saved anymore. No. Our salvation is secure in God. which should also be a thing that causes us to rejoice, according to Peter. Look, all of these things, verse 4, they're kept in heaven for you, who by God's power... Now, what type of power does God have? Is it limited? Does He have to charge up like some of those terrible volt cars or whatever it is that are battery powered because we don't want to use gasoline to protect the environment? Does God ever run out of energy? Does He ever run out of power? No. He is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He never gets tired. He never has to recharge. He never has to take a nap or go to sleep. He is all-powerful. And it is His power that is keeping these things in heaven for you. You who are being guarded by God's power through faith. For a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And here's the essence of what Peter is getting at. Listen, there's going to be times in your life where you don't reflect that salvation. There's going to be times in your life where you don't feel that salvation. But you have to understand, if God has spoken life into you, He will guard you and protect you until that salvation is fully realized when His Son returns for His bride. He will guard you. He will protect you. Even when you mess up, He is faithful. Don't let the stuff around you cause you to lose sight of that. Rejoice, because your salvation is secure. And why is it important that Peter's audience understand their salvation? Everything else that Peter will write in this first epistle is dependent upon this truth. If you don't understand your salvation, you will not understand why he's going to ask you to do the things that he is going to ask you to do. Our theology affects our behavior. What you believe about God will affect what you do for him. What you believe will determine your actions in response to God's faithful work over you. Listen, any holy action we take, notice I say holy action there, any holy action we take must be a response to God's holy action in us. Otherwise, those works are no longer good works. 
if we do them to earn God's favor, if we do them to secure our salvation, then we fly against what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. Remember what we said in Ephesians 2, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, so that no man can boast. The things that Peter is going to ask the early church to do in response to this persecution can only be done with the perspective that comes from knowing the salvation of Jesus Christ in your life and having this perspective that what we have now is not all that there is. Only in knowing our salvation and what Christ has done for us, what He saved us from and how He's transforming us, how it's securing God and we have an incorruptible inheritance as a result. Only in knowing those things can we see the possible benefits of suffering for the glory of God. One of my commentaries today was talking about the student-athletes, high school, all-star, track and field, uh, letterman. And his senior year, he was converted to Christianity. And in a counseling session with his pastor, he was writing this commentary. He just began to talk about the fact that he was being rejected by his peers and his friends at school because he was taking a stand for Christ. They wouldn't invite him to the parties anymore. They didn't want to hang out with him after games. He was being rejected because of Christ. But he also said it was worth it to be socially outcast for what Christ had done in his life. And that only comes as a response to understanding the salvation of God in your life. The Bible is full of teachings about how you and I can rejoice in the midst of trials in our life. In 1 Peter 1.7, Romans 5.3, 1 Peter 4.19, trials strengthen our faith. Our faith. 1 Peter 5.10, we'll see later, trials help us look forward to Christ's return. Helps us long for the day whenever Christ will return and we get to have full fellowship with Him once again. Galatians 5.22, trials expose the fruit of the Spirit within us. There are moments where we actually get to see if love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, if I miss one, you know where they are, right? Um, they, they allow us to see whether those things are shaped and fashioned within us. When everything's going easy, of course you exhibit those things. But what happens under persecution? What happens in the midst of a trial? First Peter 1.4, trials help us resist worldly desires. They train us to not value these things over valuing God. James 1.12, Romans 8.18, 2 Corinthians 4.17, 1 Peter 5.4 tell us that trials can bring reward from Christ himself. God doesn't promise us that this will be easy. But he does say that there is purpose behind all of this purpose that leads to us becoming more and more like Christ. If God did not spare His only Son from these things, how can we expect that He would spare us? But no, that He is faithful even in the midst of these things and that ultimately He will be glorified by our faithfulness to Him.
So quickly, what does this mean for me? Well, know this. Above all, the church is a saved community. Salvation is our cornerstone. That is the thing that we do. We proclaim the fact that we were dead, we were separated, we were sinful, and only because of the mercy of God displayed through Jesus Christ have we any cause to celebrate anything and boast in life. We will boast in Christ alone. This is why we do baptism. It's a test, it's an ordinance that, com- that compels us to show the act of God in our life. We were dead. We've been born again in Christ. The Lord's Supper, the other ordinance that we do as a church, it's a reflection of the fact that the body and blood of Christ are the things that call us to repentance and save us and restore us to God. When we gather as a body like tonight, we do so to rejoice in God's act of salvation and to learn about its implication. Any other reason is vanity. I separated myself and yet God rescued me. So now I come to praise him. I was needy and he met my needs. Now I come to praise him. I was lonely and he sought me out. Now I come to praise him. I was dead and he brought me back to life. And now I come to praise him. That is why we do what we do. And then that realization of salvation moves us to act. We act based on our salvation, not to earn it. Secondly, we have to recognize that sometimes as we act in light of our salvation, we will offend others. Now, we're not going to go out with the point of offending people, okay? Like, I don't want you to go out there and, like, knock people upside the head with your grandma's Bible. That's not the point. But by necessity... The message of the cross is offensive. You're telling people that they cannot live their lives the way they want to. That God is a standard that we are called to, and we have all fallen short of it. And Peter knows that these early Christians, they're struggling with their beliefs. And they're wondering if proclaiming Christ and and receiving all this persecution is worth all of it. Peter says, remember, Jesus said, not everyone will respond positively to this message. But we must also remember why they are responding the way they do. You can't take it it to heart. You can't take it personally. Just know that in those moments you're identifying with Jesus. He was spat on. He was crucified. He was beaten. question for you is, is the proclamation of God's salvation worth those times when you will be rejected because of how God has already accepted you? And then finally, as the band comes back up, even when we are rejected by men because of Christ, we can rest assured that he will remain faithful. He will not change because he is faithful. Remember this. In the Old Testament, he took care of Elijah when he was rejected. He took care of David whenever he was rejected. He took care of Joseph when he was 
rejected. He took care of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Took care of Daniel. All those in the Old Testament, those leaders, he took care of when they were rejected for his honor. He took care of Paul, took care of the apostles, and certainly took care of Christ. And that God is the same God that you and I serve. He has not changed. If he took care of them, he will take care of us. So my prayer is that our salvation would motivate us to serve the Lord faithfully. That's Peter's heart. Listen, guys. All of this I'm about to write to you is based on the idea that you understand and rejoice in the salvation that God has brought you to in your life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be Him for His work of salvation in your life. As we get, as we get ready to worship a little bit more tonight, would you just kind of bow your heads where you are and just reflect upon this truth. Firstly, do you know this salvation in your life? Some of you in here, maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you didn't. But you've never really understood what Christ did for you on the cross. And now tonight you want to give your life to it. You've just been overwhelmed by the sacrifice of Christ. You want to be restored to God and you understand that Christ is the only way to get there. If that's the case, I'd love to talk with you. I'll be up here in the front.
Thanks for taking part in our student service element. Here at the student ministry of Champion Forest Baptist Church, we deeply desire for every student to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never experienced that and have questions about that, we'd love to talk to you. Visit our student website at championforce.org students for information on how to contact us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd also love to see you here on campus. We have a lot of things going on that are designed specifically for students, and we'd love for you to get plugged in. Once again, thanks for tuning in to Element. We hope to see you soon. God bless.